it's the day when Joseph makes himself known to all of his brothers. And if, if, as you make your way there, let me just ask you, what would you do if you were Joseph? Just suppose you had absolute rule that you were in all respects except a title just like a king, and not just for the day, but for the rest of your life. Your word has the force of law. And let's just suppose, as we're imagining, that you uh, are like Joseph and your older brothers have all conspired together to sell you as a slave and that you have spent years not only as a slave but also being imprisoned unjustly, which wouldn't have happened except for the fact that you had been sold into slavery. And all of the worst things in your life, are, in fact, are a direct result of your brother's evil. And now they stand before you and they are under your power and authority completely. In fact, the very one who encouraged all of his other brothers to sell you into slavery in the first place is standing there offering himself as your slave. What would you do? Would you say, let justice be done, though the heavens fall, and dish right back to these brothers of yours everything that has been done to you? Or would you extend grace, giving them as a gift what they do not deserve, and mercy, withholding from them the judgment they have richly earned. What do you think Joseph is going to do? Do you think it's going to be the pathway of mercy and grace or the pathway of judgment and justice? What would you do? Let's find out what Joseph does. Verse, chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it's not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come. 
so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Joseph is at a point where he just can't stand it anymore. He has put his brothers under severe testing, and they have come through. They are changed men. They've been purified by the grace of God, by the grace of God. And so now they can enjoy all the blessings that await them. And so Joseph is overcome with emotion, and he sends away all of his servants and leaves. He's just there alone with his brothers. And then all the emotion just breaks forth into tears. You ever cried so hard you can't cry anymore? You ever been so overcome with emotion that you don't realize how loud you're being, and when you do, you don't care? This is that kind of a moment. This is that kind of a tearful revelation. And Joseph is so full of joy at being able to make himself known that his brothers are both dumbfounded and afraid. Because after all, wouldn't you be afraid? Justifiably so? When you meet at long last the brother that you have sold as a slave? Remember Johnny Cash's song, The Boy Named Sue? Right? Finally meets up with his dad. And he goes, I hit in the mouth that boy who made, that man who named me Sue, right? You know, why not George or Bill or anything but Sue, right? And this is this is worse. You've sold me as a slave and left me to rot down here. And now I'm in power. And I can send all of you to death or worse. They're afraid. But Joseph is not angry. Joseph is excited to see him. Because grace and mercy have triumphed over judgment in Joseph's life, and they overflow to his brothers. He says, get over here and come near me so you can see me and see that it's really me. Come over here. And they're kind of, you know, it's like, it's like saying, nice doggy till you can find a rock, you know. I mean, they don't know what to do. Because here is the man that they have mistreated their whole life, and there he is, right in front of them. He's, he is calling them over, and when they get close and where they can really see his face, he says, I am Joseph, the brother you sold into Egypt. And he doesn't varnish it or minimize it or try to cover up their sin. It was wrong, and both he and they know it. But look at what he says next. Look at what he says next. Now, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here because God sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, guys, you got to look at things from the bigger perspective. You may have meant evil toward me, but God was in charge ultimately he sent me down here you didn't send me god did and joseph is a man of faith and through the eyes of his faith he sees that every event no matter how 
heinous, no matter how evil, is somehow being used by a good God to bring about good for those that he loves. Now, let's be, let me be really clear, okay? Slavery is a great evil, and selling someone into slavery is a greater evil. And Joseph does not say, you know, it was really good what you did there. Not everything that happens to us is good, amen? But we serve a good God who, though he is not the author of evil, though he does not tempt people to evil, though he does not orchestrate evil, he nevertheless uses evil and uses evil people to accomplish his good purposes. And he brings good out of evil, but he does not create evil. He used his Joseph's evil brothers to bring about good for those same brothers as well as for Joseph. Because God loved this family. And God doesn't delight when evil is done, but he does use it to bring good to his people. And he is still sovereign over all circumstances, no matter what happens. That's something worth remembering. You know, this is an uncertain time in our nation's history. We don't really know what's going to happen in the future, and it's easy to be afraid. But here's the deal. The Bible would encourage you to sleep really well at night. Not because of that nothing bad will ever happen, but because we know who controls ultimately the future and the present and the past. And he is sovereign, and he brings good for his people out of all things. And you can relax. Not to say you shouldn't lock your door, but you can relax and trust God, knowing that whatever happens, that God is able to bring good even out of great evil. And Joseph can see by God's he can see God's hand at work even in his enslavement, and so he is able to forgive those who enslaved him and to give them grace and mercy. It's a marvelous demonstration of grace and mercy on Joseph's part. He is merciful in that he does not give them what they richly deserve, and he is gracious. He gives them what they haven't earned. And and God's grace in the same way pours forth to us, right? And he says, look here, there are still five years of famine left, so hurry home, grab dad, tell him I'm alive, tell him that I'm like a father to Pharaoh, tell him I'm in charge down here, and that I have got the best of Egypt available to keep all of you alive. And hurry up, because I don't want to be delayed anymore and seeing pop, and get you and get your your kids, and we're going to preserve you and your kids and your grandkids, all of you together. Hurry and get back down here because we got a reunion we need to have. And even Benjamin, my full brother, can look in my face and see that it's me. And he knows what I'm saying is true. And first, there's a welcome for Benjamin because Benjamin, obviously, he doesn't have anything to be afraid of. He wasn't complicit in all the stuff. And so Benjamin gets the first welcome. And there's hugging and there's tears and there's talking. And then after they see what happens with Benjamin, well, then they come near. And there's hugging and tears, and they start to talk. They finally figure out, you know what? He's not going to kill us right now. (laughs) 
I don't know how you get over that, except by recognizing God's grace and mercy in your own life. And then you're able to extend it to other people. And that's what happens with Joseph. Well, let's keep reading here. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I'll give you the best of the land of Egypt and you'll eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. You know, there has to be some explanation for all the weeping and the loudness and all the emotion that's going on in Joseph's house. So people find out, what was all that about? Well, Joseph's brothers are here. And Pharaoh, because he loves Joseph and because he literally owes all the prosperity of his kingdom to Joseph, says, you know what, uh, Joseph's invitation to come live here was not was good, but it wasn't quite good enough. And so Pharaoh says, look, I'm going to give you wagons to transport the family, and you can leave all your stuff behind because you're not going to need it. You're going to get newer and better stuff when you get here. And it's an amazing blessing. How would you like to live like that, right? How many of you have moved across the country? Raise your hand, okay? I've done this three times. I'd like it not to ever be four, <laughs> right? Because you've got all this stuff, and you go, who owns all this junk? Where did we get so much junk, right? I mean, you know, I've got like 27 boxes of books in my office, right? And you go, well, how did I get all this junk? When I left, when I left college, I could have put everything I owned in the back of, a pick, of one pickup truck and had a, some room left over. But now one semi-trailer is not going to do it all for everybody in my family, right? And so Pharaoh says, look, take wagons to transport the family, but leave all the stuff. Just give it away. <coughs> We've got better stuff down here. I'm up for that moving program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just give it all away and get new stuff when we get there. Right? Um. Just have an, an open house and apart from the family heirlooms, just tell everybody, see anything you like, just come get it. That's what Pharaoh offers because God's blessing is at work even through the Pharaoh. The sons of Israel did this and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and he gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. And to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten, thank you, sweetie, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, It is enough. 
Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go and see him before he's di- before I die. I have to tell you, my, my favorite verse in this whole section here at the end is verse four, or verse 24, where Joseph tells his brothers, now don't fight on the way. <laughs> okay? Those of you who are parents, okay, we have that discussion regularly. Now, go get in the car and don't fight on the way, right? Um, you know, go outside and don't fight in the front yard. <laughs> if you have to fight, go to the backyard where the neighbors don't see, <laughs> right? Um, it's a very true-to-life detail, right? Because Joseph knows his brothers, and he knows they'll probably argue with one another about him out of some combination of embarrassment and guilt. Why? Because when they get back to the old man, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to tell the truth (laughs) that Joseph is still alive. And, you know, that bit with the coat, yeah, that was kind of um, maybe not, we kind of maybe misled you a bit on that. And this is all going to come out. And there are probably a few details left out of the account here, but the fact is they do tell Jacob that Joseph is still alive and he's now a high ruler in Egypt, and, and Jacob's in total shock. In fact, his heart goes numb, they say. I don't know if it just stopped beating or what that exactly means, but he just is, I mean, I think you could have knocked him over with a feather because contrary to all his expectation, he's finding this out. But then he sees all the wagons and the stuff that's coming. All these donkeys that are loaded down with with all of the delicacies of Egypt. And all this grain and these wagons. And and he says, no, it's really true. We saw him. He's the ruler of Egypt. And they've come back with not just food, but news that the firstborn son of Rachel is alive and well. And promises them that they can live off the fat of the land in Egypt. And so it all just seems too good to be true. But before he dies, Jacob wants to go and lay eyes on his son once once again. Um, I know I'm out of time, but hang with me here for just a few minutes, okay? It's been a long journey here with Joseph and his brothers. We've had warfare and favoritism and egregious sin and slavery and prison and testing and famine. And finally, we've got reconciliation. We have reconciliation and peace, and it's a beautiful thing. Speaking personally, I'll just tell you, I've not made a long list of enemies, at least not yet. Uh, Give me time. But what I can tell you is this, that when I have been reconciled with somebody, particularly after a deep hurt, either one that I have inflicted or one that has been inflicted on me, when there is reconciliation and peace, it's, there's this beautiful thing that is created. It's almost tangible. You can almost touch it. As the Spirit of God is present in that room and you're coming to peace with one another, with somebody that you have been out of joint with for as long as you can remember. And and there's a lot of times tears, too, because 
you have all these pent-up things that just kind of come flowing out, right? You ever had that happen? Yeah. And even for those of us who follow Christ, you know, we have, as the Scripture says, we have been reconciled to God, but a lot of times we find it hard to be reconciled with other people, amen? Especially when we have all the justification that we need for continuing to be hard-hearted and angry with them, right? Because what we want many times when we are in conflict with somebody is not reconciliation, but justice. And we want to have vindication, and we want to not only be right, we want them to see that we were right and to tell us that we were right and to have them repent in dust and ashes before us, right? And go, oh, I was wrong, you know, right? That's what we want. And we find it hard sometimes to come to peace with people. I just have to tell you something else. Just I'll let you in on a secret on the pastoral life. Uh, one of the things is, is that whenever you're going to preach on a text, God always gives you opportunities to practice whatever it is you're going to preach. Okay, sometimes it's before, sometimes after. Okay, uh, you know, you can you can preach this great message on marriage and Sometime that week, either before or after, you're going to have a knockdown, drag out fight, okay, with your spouse, and you're going to hear this voice in the back of your head say to you, uh, "Yeah, you got it all figured out, pal." Uh, right? Um, I've had opportunities. I'll just tell you. I w won't go into detail, but this last month, I've had a few opportunities to practice reconciliation with people sometimes it's just a, been a misunderstanding but sometimes it's been deeper issues and and i don't think i'm a particularly good example on this necessarily but i'm learning and i would encourage you to learn also because joseph is a good example for us uh, he's a man who's greatly sinned against but he doesn't hold a grudge he's able to forgive not because of his own character, but because God allows him to see the bigger picture and how he has used even the negative things that happened in Joseph's life for Joseph's good and his family's good and God's glory. But there is a better example for us to follow, amen? Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of Joseph. Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends for the price of a slave, just like Joseph. Jesus also went from being specially loved by his father to being among the lowest, coming into the world as a servant, and his descent was much greater, not just because he was God and took on a human nature, but also because, unlike Joseph, Jesus' descent to be a servant was voluntary. And Jesus... Uh, Joseph came to see his time in Egypt as God's plan to save the lives of many people. But Jesus came before the foundation of the world he had planned to come into the world to save more people. To save every person on the face of the earth. Joseph lost his life to save others, including the brothers who hated him. But Jesus laid down his life in reality on the cross for those of us who hated him. And 
He and Jesus decided that he would not count our rebellion and sin and betrayal of him against us in relationship with him. He saved us by mercy and grace. And like Joseph, he has prepared a place for us to live with him in a new country where we don't need or get to bring anything. And we're going to get better than what we have here provided for us. Because he has made peace not between, not just between us as individuals, but between us and God himself. Jesus is the better Joseph. And when you really understand what God has done for us in Christ, it makes forgiveness and having a larger perspective so much easier. It really does. Because, you know, just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 7, you remember the parable of the money lender? That he tells to Simon the Pharisee, he says, look, a certain man loaned money to two people and he loaned the one a lot of money and he loaned the other a smaller amount. And in time, he came and he forgave the debts of both of them. Well, the one guy had a small debt, at least in his own eyes. And he was thinking, you know, get a little overtime, maybe get a side job, make a little extra money, I'll pay that back. The other guy has got a debt that he can't pay if he works 100 years. And the money lender forgives both of them. And Jesus tells Simon, he says, he who has been forgiven much loves much. And it really comes down a lot of times in our ability to forgive, it comes down to how much we think we've been forgiven. And a lot of us think of ourselves as pretty good people, and so we have a hard time with forgiveness. But in reality, if you see yourself from God's perspective, you see how much your debt really was. And you realize, you know what? I have no right not to extend forgiveness to those who wrong me because God has forgiven me so much. How dare I hold against somebody who owes me five bucks when God has forgiven me five billion bucks, right? And it makes it a lot easier when you realize how much you've been forgiven. And you can be filled with the joy that comes from reconciliation that God brings as we're able to extend forgiveness in imitation of the God who saved us. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of reconciliation, the God who made peace through the blood of his Son, the God who loved us so much that you would not count against us the fact that we sold your Son as a slave and put him to death on a cross, publicly humiliated him, whipped him, beat him to death, and then ran a spear through his side for good measure after we had crowned him with thorns. Father, we did all these things to your son, and he prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And it was my sin and the sins of these here in this room that put him on that tree, and he came voluntarily because he loved us and wanted us to be at peace with you. Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you that he 
has made us his brothers and brought us by his blood into your family and will one day bring us into a new country where we don't need anything because everything we need will be provided for us. And Father, we thank you for your love. And Father, we pray that we who have been shown such great grace and such wonderful, amazing mercy would be agents of mercy and grace with those we interact with. And that we would not only tell people of the wonderful mercy and grace of God, but that we would demonstrate it as we interact with each other and as we get into conflict with each other and as we get sideways and even lose relationships. Father, I pray there'd be reconciliation of those as well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.